right, I am here today on Off Topic with Brendan from Master Talk. Brendan, how are you doing? Awesome, man. How about yourself? Good, good. I, uh, I'm glad that we got connected. Um, I, I joined like the matchmaker.fm. It came up on like something I should look, look into. And I was like, matchmaker.fm, that sounds like a dating site. But it's been like awesome to like connect with other like guests and other podcasts and stuff. Have you like had pretty good, uh, pretty good experiences on it? Oh yeah. Let's just say I found a lot of things on matchmaking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been a great service. You get to meet so many great people and, and I've got to meet a lot of friends actually off matchmaking, just being on their shows and just staying in touch. So, so yeah. I've been pretty happy with it. That's awesome. Uh, so I, I, when you, uh, had messaged me and, um, I was like looking up your videos and stuff and I was like, Oh, these are actually really, these are really helpful because there's a lot of people that aren't really comfortable with uh, public speaking. I know like, because I started at a young age, uh, like performing music that I got comfortable being in front of people. Um, but a lot of people don't have like that experience. So it's, it was great to like, see that you were doing these videos for people. Now. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. How did you get, how did you get started with that? Like what, what what kind of happened for you to like want to want to do that absolutely so much like you in music and other guys with sports i was none of the above you know <laughs> i didn't really like i mean i love music but i don't i don't i'm not really good at playing it mm-hmm. and sports well i'm not a rugby football soccer or really anything kind of guy mm-hmm. but i had that competitive spirit and i applied it to presentations mm-hmm. sounds bizarre that's what I did for three years. So I presented hundreds of times, coached dozens of people. They're called case competitions. And I just fell in love with them. And it was mostly also to get a job in the corporate world after business school. Mm-hmm. So after I graduated from university and I started working in corporate America, I just asked myself a simple question. How do I make a difference in the world? And that's when the idea for Master Talk came because I realized that a lot of the university students or people in general were really bad at communication and the tools that were available for free were really bad. It's like if I told you, hey, Perry, you should like get up on stage and talk. I was like, okay, like, well, what do you do with that? <laughs> so I started making videos in my mother's basement. One thing led to another and the rest was <laughs> yeah. history. Nice. That's awesome. I checked out a few of them. And uh, one of them was how to be a better like on the spot storyteller um, or like on the spot speaker, like how to tell, how to tell a better story. And, um, that one really got me. Cause I, and one of the things that like is really bad for me is I like to over explain everything and I get way too in deep about like <laughs> what's in the story, what's going on with the story, all the other like side parts of it. And, uh, it was great that you like broke it down, like that. It's not, don't make it so complicated kind of thing. And, uh, so what what kind of uh was it part of your degree when you went to school or was it something that you researched that kind of got you feeling confident to like tell people this is this these are the tips and tricks kind of thing yeah so what happened was when i was in business school and i was doing these competitions it wasn't really related to the degree mm-hmm. i just happened to be good at communication and then the second year that i was in the program you know, there's just some things about, about ourselves, you know, this is all of us, not just me. We all have that, that thing that we're just a bit better than, than everything mm-hmm. else in our list. <laughs> and in the second year, we, I realized when I looked at the program, because when you enter that next year, you're mentoring other students. You're not just competing in these competitions anymore. You're okay. helping the new generation of university students too. And we also didn't have a speech coach because they're really expensive. Yeah. So I said, wait a second, why don't I just coach them. And I sucked. I had no <laughs> idea how to coach them. I, I was some kid, but I did it for so long because I was literally coaching most of the students in that program. And those students are, aren't like playing a, you know, local uh, sports in like a city. The, these are students were flying out to competitions around the world. Like wow. literally, you know, teams go to like Thailand, Singapore to give PowerPoint presentations. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> that's how that's how it is. So I was I was training a lot of these. So anyways, what I'm trying to say is that's how I learned how to how to think about public speaking from a practical perspective. So mm-hmm. I know you said research. That's what I don't like about most people in the industry. 
<laughs> Why do we make communication so complicated? You know, you got to think about extraprenean speeching and glossophobia and all this. I'm like, whoa, chill, dude. Like, whoa. <laughs> and, nah. Why don't we just use simple terminology that the general public can understand so they're not scared of public speaking and that's more accessible to them? Because let's face it, communication is important for everything that we do, mm-hmm. right? Not just uh, presentations. This is a small fragment. It's, it's every conversation, every interaction you have while you're still here. Yeah. And I even know like uh, my day job is I'm a teaching assistant at a high school. And one thing that I noticed immediately is just like I was saying before, I have a tendency to not necessarily make things as simple as possible when I'm trying to teach something to the kid and they might understand everything I'm saying as I'm saying it, but the overload of information. And um, like you said, to put it in something simple, like to say simple things and be effective like that, that changes it, that changes it for everybody. That makes it easier for you. That makes it easier for them. And like you said, there people are expensive to hire, to train these people, like to train everybody, learn how to present better, talk better, like just generally commute, communicate better. And if you can have that service that you're providing, it's, it's kind of priceless. If you like keep up with it, you know, if you practice, like prepare and practice. So it's, it's really cool that you're doing that. Um, so when, when you're talking about these competitions, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very intrigued because <laughs> it seems like, it seems like something like, uh, I just watched the Queen's Gambit and it seems like this underground, like, like chess competition, but for presentations, <laughs> people traveling all over on the world. Um, what did, what did they entail? Like what, when you, st- when you did your first one, what was that experience like? Like kind of walk us through like what, what kind of goes on? Because I'm, I'm very intrigued by this. Oh, okay. Not, not many people go down that rabbit hole. Sure. Let's do <laughs> yeah. it. So here's how it works. And okay. it's going to seem bizarre as hell. Perfect. Because it's very unique <laughs> to the country and the region I live in. Like these types okay. of competitions do exist around the world. But the version that I did literally only exists in the, in the cities of Canada. And how it's, it's called, in French, it's called Jeux du Commerce. And Jeux du Commerce in English is commerce games. Think mm-hmm. of it like the Business Olympics. <laughs> so I know, once again, you're going to find me crazy, but this is what happens. This is great. Okay? <laughs> so 13 universities. Okay, and there's three versions of the competition. One for the eastern part of Canada, one mm-hmm. for central, and one for west. So think British Columbia, San Francisco, and that area. Yeah, but SF yeah. is out, but you know what I mean, in that region. Right, right, right. And in these three regions... There's all, almost all of the universities, not all of them, but most of them compete at the competition, all of the business faculties. So say I went to Concordia. So you have McGill University, all the other universities and their business schools, and they all go together. So essentially what happens at this competition is the competition split into seven key areas, but I'll summarize it in three to keep things super simple. Okay. One is academics. So academics is how do you present? So a case competition for pretty 98% of you who don't know, it's a very niche community, is a business gives you a problem and you need to solve it and present a solution in three hours. So essentially, like, let's say me and you are on a case competition team mm-hmm. with like Laura, where we get put into a room with no internet, we get thrown a case, which is 20 pages on average. We have to read the case, discuss the solution, make slides, remember no internet, make slides, risk of mitigation, financial statements, risk, like everything. And then at the end of the three hours, no practice time, we have to present back the solution to the actual executives of the company, depending on what the level of the competition is. So at international competitions, you're presenting to the CEO of the company. Does that make sense? High level? Yeah, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy that like this goes on yeah because like uh were they like companies that people like know like household company names or were they just or were they kind of like like canadian oriented or like those other countries that you were in were they more oriented like in that country loving the curiosity man you're clearly fit to be a (laughs) podcast you got it so so it's a mix of everything right The general idea to keep it simple, and then we can have a whole masterclass after this, is sponsors, like companies sponsor the competition. Because remember, like you said yourself, and I agree, you don't have to be really insane to want to do this for fun. (laughs) Which means, if we think about it, 
the best business school students, the people you want to hire are the people at these competitions. Yeah, this is like right. a recruiting. This is like a recruitment in a sort. That's like, exactly. You're yeah. absolutely right. Now, now you're you're getting the link very quickly. I'm actually very <laughs> impressed. Okay, this is, I'm actually super <laughs> impressed. But anyways, so think of uh, here's a good one. You're American, right? Yes. Did, did I get that right? Are you Canadian? Yeah, okay, yeah. American. Gotcha. <laughs> so a good way of thinking about this is case competitions is the feeder school like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and sure, yeah. you know Pennsylvania are. To, to maybe different academic roles or mm-hmm. banking jobs on Wall Street or consulting jobs. But case competitions are the feeder school for all of these mm-hmm. corporate jobs. So essentially what I'm getting at, so this program has been, so I was, I was fortunate, right, mm-hmm. to be in, to been a part of the largest case competition program in the world. And I managed it for three years. Think of me as the dictator of that program for three years. <laughs> it's a good way of thinking about me, which is a whole other thing. But the point is, <laughs> Uh, an example I can give you, because you mentioned household names. I remember it was four years ago. This is a long time. Maybe a year after I graduated, uh, after I retired from case competitions. And I went to go watch, because we host an international one in Montreal. We're yeah. literally 19 countries from around the world. I can't make this shit up. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> literally fly out. Like, uh, I had teams from, like, Hong Kong and Thailand. There's yeah. a whole bonding experience there. We get, I have, like, friends in, like, 30 different countries. It's crazy. Right. And they all work at these top companies and right. you get there and the case sponsor for the big case, there was like five cases that week, but the big one that the company spends like $30,000 to sponsor was Walmart. But the person who was giving the case, like presenting it to the group of students, remember mm-hmm. these are students, right? I want to reemphasize right. that. We're, re- we're presenting to executive. This is not a cashier at Walmart. Nothing wrong right. with being a cashier at Walmart, but this is not the person who's presenting the case. Right. In that case, it was the senior vice president of Walmart Canada. So you literally had <laughs> the president yeah. and the dude under the president who's literally been working his whole life at Walmart, knows the business inside and out. And you're 20 years old and you have to present a solution to that guy. Yeah. And I wonder what their expectation is, because that's that's an interesting side of it, too. Like we're do you have like an insight into what they look for or cause like there's no way you can come up with an act like as a student with relatively no like problem solving, like higher up level experience. It's hard to determine a lot of those small intricacies that like you can't, like you can't think of when you've never been in it. So do you have an idea of what their expectation was in that sense? My, my short answer, not to get too crazy you would think that, right? You know, the right. average student in a university, you're absolutely right. Like in the same way an average student Concordia, any other university, yeah, right. they, they wouldn't know how to speak to executives. Not these students. Okay. Keep in mind, this is the 1% of the 1%, not income, right, of craziness right. from every <laughs> business faculty in the world. Yeah. These students are machines. So obviously the executive for the first time doesn't have high expectations. Like what are they going to, and those formats, that's 24 hours, right? So the the international formats are 24 hours with internet. So you have access to everything except your coaches, but in, in local competitions, it's three hours. So that's, so you have a day to prepare it. Okay. So what these, these schools do, including ours is nobody sleeps the 24 hours. Right. It's literally like four people on a laptop. They're all crunching data. (laughs) going through a bunch of these reports and like the next day when they're sleep deprived, they present, I, I'll give you a little teaser cause I love the curiosity. Yeah, so yeah. an average team, just to show you how crazy I usually don't yeah, show yeah. this publicly. So this will give you a fun cause <laughs> just cause I love, I just love your excitement to this. It's just, this it just great. makes me yeah. happy. So I'm going, I'm giving you the, the secret sauce here. <laughs> so, so an average case competition team, like any 20 year old, right? A university like normally would. Sure. Yeah. Because I'm sure you're wondering, how the hell is a 24-year-old making this kind of content on YouTube? It makes no sense, right? <laughs> right? If you think about it, yeah. I'm sure you've thought yeah. that at some well, point. Because like, I, I know you looked young, but I like right? I was like, oh, maybe he just looks young and he's in his like younger 30s. Right. Like, because we're. And I'll tell you right now, I started mass talk when I was 22. Yeah. How does that make any sense? <laughs> right. right. And you're probably the only person who realized that. I think I've done like hundreds of interviews. You're probably the only person who's like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. Well, Most I'm naturally curious. Yeah. I'm naturally right? curious my, and uh, like kind of like critical. So I'm like thinking, I'm like, 
huh he seems kind of young to be uh like yeah i wonder what like i wonder what leads to that you know i've got that right you're like is he is he ripping <laughs> other people up but once again he can't because he's he's applying right. the advice that he's teaching so right. something's off here so yeah. i'll clarify Right, which I usually don't do on shows. Usually people just ask me questions about online presentation. I can walk away. <laughs> people go, well, Brendan is great. I go next. Okay, next century. Right, right. Anyways, this is fun for me. Okay, so let's do it. So average case competition, nothing wrong against the average, right? Mm-hmm. I would have said something very different four years ago, but I have to be a bit more PR. Okay, nothing wrong with the average case comp. They're doing their best. So they walk up to the exact, after three hours of preparation, right? It's like yeah, yeah. In the local. So they walk up to you. Let's say you're the judge. And they go, Hey, Perry, you know, my name's Brendan. This is my team, Laura, Max, and uh, Richard. And today we're going to talk about uh, Walmart's growth strategy and how to uh, be successful. So, uh, Laura, did you want to start? So, average, you know, average team. Right, right, right. World-class team <clears throat> that I would coach. So I'm something like this. Ever since I was a kid. Every time I went into Walmart, I would see the different parts of the store, whether it was the electronics, the groceries. Walmart has innovated on how to bring the everything store that Amazon has revolutionized into every retail store. So now, as we think into the future, as more consumers are shopping online, how can we bring the Walmart experience to every household in America? And that's exactly what we're here to do. Good afternoon to the board of directors of Walmart. My name is Brendan Kumarsami, and I'm here with my colleagues, Laura Kerr, Darren Matthews, and Richard Pryor. And today we're going to be discussing the future growth strategy. This is how 20-year-olds would speak. Right. <laughs> so I would coach them on this. Why? Not because we cared about presenting, because we had a maniacal obsession with winning these presentations. Right. So you had literally schools from around the world. <laughs> Yeah. So, and anyways, it was nuts. I, it was the best three years of my life. I really miss it. And that's what <laughs> led. Anyways, so going back to this. So what happened? When I was a young, when I was a youngling and I started in this program, I didn't realize how intense it was. You know, I was just some kid who wanted to get a job on Wall Street or some, some kind of thing. Right. And in that process, all of my coaches in that program, because we are part of the world's largest one, are executives <laughs> of companies. These are people who are in their early 20s. Right. Who got who got into the program 10 years ago and who got promoted really, really quickly because the average, you know, case competitioner, as we call it, like case compers, we call them case compers are like five to 10 times more efficient than the average employee student out of university. So you'd see like a 32 year old as like as a vice president at a company and the only give back he has time for because he doesn't have any time is he, he gives back to the program. Huh. Or she gives back to the program. So right. every team. Anyways, I know I'm, I'm driving a lot. I'm getting okay. too excited for my own game. No, this is but good. The point, yeah. so, you, so you can tell I'm crazy. But the point is, <laughs> at local competitions, mm-hmm. we go as groups. We compete in groups. So it's our school against every other school. And the okay. winner gets a big cup. Okay, it's called, there's an academic cup. And there's the overall cup for the entire competition. Okay. And academics is eight teams who present diff- eight different subjects. So what we have an international business team, a marketing team, a strategy team, um, uh, not a math team, a finance team. And that, those individual teams compete with all the others. So that's part okay. one, academics. Okay. Part two, this is going to sound really fucked up. Okay, the second part <laughs> is sports. This is an actual sports team. So we literally send... There's like a sport. So let's say every year it's like yeah. basketball and like a random sport, like foosball. I don't know, some random shit. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's a sports team from every university that they also send to this competition. That's worth the other part of the points. And the third part is what's called participation. You're really good at this. I've never pushed it this far. Most people don't get <laughs> curious. Participation is who's the loudest school. So uh-huh. every team has a school chant. Right. So we have a JMSB chant for our school and we have to sing all the other chants and the loudest school. So the galas are insane. Like people are standing up on tables It like plates break. It's nuts. I know this is crazy. I'll send you videos after it's nuts. Yeah, this is awesome. (laughs) Anyway, so essentially, so that's the third part. It's a combination of all of these three areas. There's like seven of them, but let's sum it to three. That totals the overall points for the big cup. This is the school of the year cup. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, the summary (laughs) of this whole thing is from the ages of 19 and 23, my life was case competitions. 
I missed four Christmases. I was the dictator of the entire program. Anybody who wanted to take their holidays off doesn't get in the program. Like I would not oh, let them yeah, in. That's yeah. how competitive. Because the, the reason is because <laughs> the competition is the first week of January. So it just okay. was unacceptable yeah, 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 to see yeah. your family. You could, you could, I think we gave them like, <laughs> I gave them like one day, like go okay. peek at them and then come back like, to school. <laughs> it was nuts. And honestly, it was the best four years of my life. Yeah. And that's how I mastered public speaking. So gotcha. it's every single day I would either present competition, present or coach mm-hmm. somebody else. So it, it would be like, for me, a normal day would be sleeping five hours the night before. Let's say it's the last week of December, crunch time. I'd be sleeping like four or five hours, coaching five teams at the same day, yelling at all of them, telling them that they sucked and that they weren't worth anything. And that, and, and they would, and I would watch them all slaughter everyone at competitions. Right. Like you would literally have like this girl who like starts and is really talented, like really starts to want to get in the program, but doesn't know how to present. And then they go through me. And I'm just building up their confidence based on who they are. And I go, do I encourage them? Do I shit on them? And then like at the competition, they go from that to like literally presenting like goddesses. Like literally (laughs) they just present and the the judge just like, like first place, first place, first place. And they would just slaughter everyone. So, so that's, that's how I learned the trick of the train and how this links to master talk. Yeah. Kind of got the full story with me. I love it. Yeah. You know, my goal was never to be a YouTuber. You know, my goal is to be a senior level executive, like all my other buddies. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what all my buddies are doing. Right. They're like managers now at this point. And they're, you know, they're like speeding up the promotion, which is what I'm doing. I mean, I work at IBM as a consultant. Right. Oh, yeah. But yeah, because all of us got multiple offers and then you kind of pick the job, you kind of pick the company you like. And, right, you know, right. Right. Right there. You know, you don't have certain job search issues if you're a case <laughs> comper. Right. It's yeah. not something we understand. But anyways, <laughs> so anyways, I looked at my life. I was 22 years old. I, you know, I signed a really great company. I was going to be a senior executive at IBM for I was 30. And then I just looked at my life in reverse. I was like, okay, I'm going to be dead in like 50 years. Is there something more I can do? And the answer, honestly, has always been no. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be an executive. I'll do really well for myself. You right. know, retire my mom. And she's retired now. It's really great for me and with the family. But I never had that big impact piece until a couple of months before I graduated. Perry, what happened was the 20th student, you know, after all this, these people that I was coaching, kept asking me the same question I never had a good answer to. And the question was, how did you learn how to speak? Right. And I never, I was like, I don't know. I never, I, I was a broke student like you probably right. like literally <laughs> three years ago, I was in university, broke student. Yeah. They really have that much money. Didn't have a speech coach. Toastmasters is great for those who want to practice public speaking, mm-hmm. but I didn't even have time for Toastmasters because I was busy coaching people. Mm-hmm. So I was hundred percent self-taught pretty much. And I'd wow. watch other videos. Yeah. That's what happened. But after the 20th person asked me the question, kind of just said, why do people keep asking me this? Like, is, it, is there like resources I should be checking out? So anyways, I got on YouTube one day. This is two months before I started working. Mm-hmm. And then I, I watched a lot of those YouTube videos. And dude, like, I don't even want to like, I usually sugarcoat this one a lot. I PR a lot, but I was disgusted by all the video content, <laughs> right? I was like, I would look at a bunch of these PhD people and communicate. I was like, you're making this mistake, this mistake, this mistake, this mistake, this. Like, I would literally break apart their videos. And then I would look at their sub count. And their sub count, like 90,000 on it. I was like, How the hell does this channel have 90,000 subscribers? Right. Then I went to the next videos, but it just kept happening over and over again. And then I just got more and more pissed. And that's more accurate than saying, you know, Kara, I was very disappointed with all the content. And, you know, I can do PR well, as you know, probably at this point. But the point (laughs) is, I was just pissed. I was like, this is all terrible. Yeah. And then then the frustration grew so much because I I was thinking about what I was teaching. I was like, how is nobody sharing this for free? I was like, you can totally do this. Right. And then I just realized in that moment, two things. One, I need to be the person to do it for fun. I just started making (laughs) videos in my basement, literally. Yeah. And the other part of that was... I realized that I was the youngest professional speech coach of the world without even wanting to be, mm-hmm. you know, I started coaching CEOs and I was like 22 or something like after the students, after I finished coaching the students and that's what I do these days. But I think the, the key is like, I realized in that moment that like, wait a second, I could like make videos. Then the first seven months of master talk, it was a stupid idea. I was making videos, making videos <laughs> who the hell listens to public speaking videos, but the case compers kept listening right. kept saying i don't care if you're making videos in your basement i've never heard this content before keep making it 
Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized I was onto something. And then the rest was history. Now, now everything took off. But that's that's pretty much the story, man. That's what happened. That's awesome. That in to be honest with you, I wasn't. I was not expecting to learn about this whole underworld. Of Me neither. I usually don't talk about it. <laughs> I love. I usually it though, keep cause... it under wraps. Yeah. Because it portrays me in the wrong way. Because <laughs> I'm like the I'm like the Michael Jordan of case competitions in the sense of, I'm I'm like the Mark, Michael Jordan nobody gives a shit about. Right. That's a good way of thinking about it. Because like I'm I'm a part of this weird underworld. Like you would literally see me like break students apart, and I apply a lot of that in executive coaching now with mm-hmm. people who can take it a bit more. That's what I'd literally do. I'd be like, "You're not worth anything. You need to get better. Like this is terrible." And mm-hmm. they would go on to win international competitions, but because I had that obsessiveness, my videos had to be world-class. Right. Like if I was going to start a YouTube channel, it needs to be like, I had the best videographer, my best friend, I'm lucky that he's in my life. Same with my thumbnail. I have, a, I have a TikTok artist who has like 2 million followers on TikTok and he's like edging everything. Like I, everything <laughs> I do, case competitions yeah. taught me to be very obsessed. So that's how I learned pretty much 40 years of communication knowledge in four. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. Cause, um, I love learning about these other subcultures. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so much fun because I grew up in a very small town. I shouldn't say very small town, but it's a small enough town. You're like Uh, New York city. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, cause I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm like two and a half hours up from the city. And so I, you get a lot of like some stuff that comes up from the city, like different things. Um, but it's so interesting to find out like all this stuff. Cause this is, this is like a big deal for people. And for me, it never existed in my mind until now. So it's really interesting to like learn about it. And uh, so when you were coaching them, did you, how do you, do you have to apply to that? Or do they ask you, like, do you have to like go through a test to like to be a coach or do you have to like be asked to do it? Oh, that's super interesting. So I wasn't paid to be a coach, right? Okay. That's one thing I want to have. I get paid now. You know, I'm a professional speech right, coach now, right, blah, right. blah, blah. But when I was in university, you know, how it worked essentially. Think of it like a student club. But like a student club that r- runs like a machine. That, that's okay. a good way of thinking about it. It's like a company within within a university. That's probably the best way. So nobody gets paid. You know, it's pro bono. We're all kind of mm-hmm. helping students out, like creating an experience, like people who right. organize frosh or different university activities. But we took it very, very seriously. So every year, and that's what we're renowned for at Concord. It's probably the only thing people know the university for because it's not really at the top <laughs> of the rankings, is, um, is really the case competition program. That's why most people join. I didn't know about case competition. I just got lucky, really. I didn't okay. know what this thing. I didn't even know what it, you know, if you know, <laughs> if you know the company Price Waterhouse Coopers, which I worked at before IBM, okay. I thought I thought it was a water bottling company. It's how lost I was in his accounting firm, right? For people who know the company, yeah. <laughs> laugh at this and just go with the hell. This gets so lost. <laughs> but anyways, when I started, uh, that's how, so how the process works is around, yeah, it used to be 400. It's probably like, 300 now that people apply for the program every year and 80 people get taken so it's not so bad but it's still competitive it's it's still enough where enough people are not getting it where it's very selective yeah and and when i was running the program because there's like three different anyways i don't get into that much detail it's just boring for your audience but there's 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 three different classes i was the head of one of those classes for like two years and to get into my class specifically Mm-hmm. man picky i was really picky so like <laughs> let's say i get into final round and they some like let's say out of 300 there's like three rounds to the process we probably trim like half of them until finals and then the last round we trim another half and then the other half get into the program so oh. usually if somebody says like oh you know i want to take two weeks off florida you know vacation we usually don't say yes at all and if they go mm-hmm. no i just need a couple of days they would still get in the program they just wouldn't get into my class Right. Gotcha. It would just be like, uh, go into the other classes. Don't, don't, you, you won't yeah. like me. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, 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 what happened. And then in the first year I probably did. So me personally, I've probably done 50 case competitions myself as an individual, which is a lot. I've probably done the most, oh, uh, except yeah. for maybe one or two other people who are doing very well for themselves in life. I've probably like top three out of like, we're talking like top three of like, this probably has been going on for like 20, 25 years. You know, 80 students times 20, that's 1,600 people. <laughs> yeah. So out of those 1,600 people, I was probably top five, something wow. like that. 
a number of competitions. I'm not saying in the top five, there's a lot of <laughs> impressive people who've been through that program. So I'm not like putting myself at the top. There are a lot of great people I've learned from, been blessed to have been mentored by. But I think the key is, is in that program, the first year how it works is you're competing, right? You're new, you're fresh blood, you're getting, mm-hmm. you're trying to get really good. Second year, you're mentoring the new generation and okay. you're competing. So you're doing both. And I wow. realized the gap in our program, we, we couldn't afford a speech coach. So I just said, well, and I was, uh, you know, what? might as well give you the full trend. I was the best presenter in the program, right? Mm-hmm. Top three, at least. So I just said, why don't I just do that? I, I wasn't the smartest guy in the room by far. A lot of smart people there. <laughs> I couldn't really crack case. I wasn't that good at it, but I could sell really well. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, let me start coaching. I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest, Barry. I was kind of coaching them, but it, I, I'm, I'm kind of overplaying this. I wasn't really that, I was, I was bad. I was not a very nice person, but I wasn't a <laughs> dick. So what I mean is like, let's say I would give them tips. It would be more of a discussion. Do you think the way I'm coaching you makes sense? So a lot of my curriculum mm-hmm. is not just built on me. It's built on the ideas that I've generated with the whole group and saying, am I coaching you guys in the right way? And then over time, I built the system so that after a, a couple of months only of refining, I was able to take a kid or a student who knew nothing. And in three months, I would make them superstars. And it was a system we built together that I always kept refining. And they still they still helped me refine it today. So yeah, I have a pretty nice. good competitive moat. Yeah. And that's uh, what you're saying basically is like what every, any good coach does for anything, whether, because when I'm talking to kids that I coach for football it's kind of that same thing the first couple weeks you're deciding which kids you know you can push which other kids you have to develop in a different way what kids know nothing what kids are the quote-unquote stars kind of thing and then you do exactly what you said like you you build a repertoire with them that you understand like when you give them criticism in a certain way that they're not taking it like oh, I suck. I'm not, I'm not worthy of being here. It's there's potential and they want to get the best out of me. So it's, it's really interesting, like seeing that in a different way um, from your end, because on my end, it's always been like, kind of like that sports sports aspect. So that's absolutely man. interesting. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll even give you an extra layer that I, I, I don't think I've ever talked about is uh, how did I learn leadership skills at such a young age? Yeah. So when I was when I was managing the program, I think it was my second year, okay, our goal was to win one of those divisions. So, you know, I said mm-hmm. Eastern, Central, and West. Yep. Eastern, our school wins pretty much every year. Because no, as you could probably tell, I mean, we're, we're crazy. They can't really <laughs> compete against us when you got people like me. coaches. So <laughs> as an, so yeah, sure. Some individual teams in our delegation might lose mm-hmm. and we'd be pissed at the judge and that's a whole other thing because it's very subjective at the end of the day, right? Right. But the average of all of our teams in one, we would always come out at least top two. But there is one competition that we never won. <laughs> and that was JDC Central, Central, which is the central region for commerce games. And I went the first year and I, I won second place in my, in, my, in my division. So I was really happy. It was my first year competing. We podiumed, yeah. which is great. But... I was looking at all the other, my team, these are my friends, right? These are the other teams mm-hmm. that I practiced three months where, and I would see them not get top, top three. And then I would see them crying in tears and I would be watching all the other universities. And I'd be like, these guys suck. They can't beat us. Like, how is it, how, how is this possible? So then I said, I need to lead that team mm-hmm. next year. So I became the head of the program for that specific class. And mm-hmm. I said, our goal is to win central. So we practiced, we honed, we trained, and you know what happened? The day that we went out, so you know, Canada's cold and shit. So, anyways, so the competition oh, yeah. was like all the way there. So we had to take like a nine-hour bus. Oh my god! And so after th- four months of practice, so what happened? Mm-hmm. The roads were blocked, and the competition got canceled. So after a year of hard work, yeah. all of the delegates were like super like they were all stars like these were these were all like my babies right like i spent yeah, like yeah. like my best soldiers like lieutenants they were like <laughs> crazy they were gonna like we were gonna be it was gonna be the first year that our school took yeah. the academic cup it never happened competition got canceled mm-hmm. i think half of the people on the bus were suicidal and i was the head and i'm like not like kidding like this is serious yeah and i was the head of the program so think of like a 21 year old who has to manage this <laughs> 
and you're so yeah. me like i spent a year of my lifespan getting to this competition right and to find out everything fell apart and yeah. man it was a tough leadership so i had to get up not cry and like sit down next to everyone be like mm-hmm. hey is everything okay is there anything it was the toughest leadership lesson i ever yeah. learned in my life but because i learned it so young it mm-hmm. gave me the skills to coach people triple my age because mm-hmm. i'm sure another question you probably think you why do 45 year olds pay this guy <laughs> money right this makes no sense right so uh, and, and then obviously don't worry there's a good end to the story uh, a lot of, lot, you know, we're given up. But then the following year, one of my lieutenants took the lead of the program. And I supported him because mm-hmm. I got kicked out for some other reason. But anyways, <laughs> I was too aggressive. But anyways, the point is, I got, I got reinstated. Then me and him, we worked together and we ended up winning the academic cup the following year. So, which was awesome. cool. Yeah. Was cool. And then I retired off that. But I think the key is, <laughs> lots of shit happened in my life in, in five years. Uh, a lot of so essentially what I'm saying, period, it's a good way of kind of summarizing this entire conversation for people who are still <laughs> listening for some reason, is the power of serendipity in life. You know, I was lucky that I was born in a first world country. My parents immigrated a year before I was born in Canada. And then I had to be born in Montreal. I had to go to Concordia University specifically to mm-hmm. go to the world's largest case competition. Pro. I had to find love case. Co- I had to go to business right. school. And then all of these random things yeah. lined up so that I could be the next Dale Carnegie mm-hmm. and a better version of he was because he wasn't born in the right time period of history. Mm. all of those ran in the same way bill gates was born in the right time period all that stuff right yeah so so that's the message i think from everyone is look in your own unique experiences embrace your own insanity fall in love with it (laughs) and you'll end up on a path that is only uniquely yours like what i'm doing today perry that's what i'm very proud of it's not like the followers is that what i'm doing literally no one in the world can do because of all the back-end system that nobody sees. It's, right. it's like how LeBron James spends a million dollars on his body, you know, right. his trainers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have a similar mindset and a lot less money in the context <laughs> of public speaking, right? right? Where I have like a team of like 50 people who are always watching my videos and giving mm-hmm. me feedback on ideas that I yeah. never thought of. That's really cool. That's, it's a, that was a lot of uh, new. Yeah, you really got, you got, you got everything. Man. I love it. Yeah, that was story. great. So when you so when you graduated and you were done with the case, fuck, you don't want to ask me about online presentations, man. Isn't that all the rape? No, I'm kidding. I well, going. we will get to that at some point. Yeah, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> it's a useless question. I get it so many times. I'm tired of answering. Anyways, what you're saying? Go for it. Perfect. Um, so you you started working for IBM. So what are you? So in there, your um like coaching people there or is that outside of the job right so the idea of case competition is very reflective of this profession called management consulting slash technology consulting so just as a summary once again for those who are still listening (laughs) management consulting is a profession where you essentially solve problems for businesses so a company that that's more well known it's called mckinsey and company so what mckinsey does essentially is their team of consultants advises everyone. So think about presidents of companies, presidents of nations, mm-hmm. like all these big things. People like McKinsey are their advisors. They're kind of like the, okay. they, they call them the whisperers. So they kind of whisper in the ears of the CEO. They don't take credit for anything. They, they just get paid a bunch of money right. to do that. <laughs> that was my dream, right? Work, working at one of these companies and doing those kinds of things. I was like, wow, why wouldn't you want to do that for a living? That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. So anyways, <laughs> what the question was but I, I don't know i was just talking about the what, what was, was the question um <laughs> so basically what do you do at ibm like is that part of like your? oh you got it right so <laughs> most people who work at mckinsey and all these companies right right like just to give you an idea i remember I was, I was talking to a team from bangkok thailand at one of these competitions just to give you an idea of how the international feel mm-hmm. and they were like oh where do you work and i was like ibm i got a job in consulting They're like great i was like where do you work they were like Bain and Company, which is one of the three, and I just went, whoa. And I was like, how many people do they hire every year at the Bangkok office? They're like, ah, they probably get like a thousand applicants. And I was like, yeah, but how many do they hire every year? They're like, oh, like two. And I just went, one, two. <laughs> so is that is that you two? And they just went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, okay. But anyways, uh, that's a whole other thing. So essentially, consulting is all like case comps. You do that in real life. 
Right. So the way that you crunch slides in your competitions, you do the same thing at work, same grunt work. Okay. That's what you get paid a shit ton of money to do. That's pretty much what it is. And I love nice. it. You know, I've, I've always wanted to be a consultant. I think for me, what's, what's changed in the last two years since I started working was, do I want to be an executive or do I want to reallocate my time to make a bigger impact in the world? It mm-hmm. seems that I'm going to pick category two. I, I think executive <laughs> would have been great. You know, if, if, if we were yeah. having this conversation 30 years ago, I would have 100% been an executive, mm-hmm. like 100%, right? Yeah. You know, the fast-paced environment, the stress, it's just my kind of vibe. But just because of the nature of the times, I can yeah. build a media company, I can monetize off of that. I'm, I'm already mm-hmm. monetizing off other channels. There's a way to build a business off of this in a way that adds value to people that's actually ends up being more interesting than being an executive like everyone else uh, of my, uh, my peers. So, uh, so I'll yeah. probably end up going category two, but it's going to be hard to say no to the big checks because <laughs> it's those checks that fund Master Talk. By the way, I lose a lot right. of money on the channel, yeah, <laughs> just so people know that I'm not a greedy uh, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tough. Uh, it's tough making those choices between um, even just doing something even that you love versus something that gives you stability in a in a sense, you know, and especially when you're talking about like a podcast or youtube channel or um like being a musician or whatever it is that's more entertainment based and less about um like profit seeking you know it's 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 very based in making sure people are entertained and they're whether you're teaching them something or not um and i can imagine (laughs) i'm not in the same position where i'm looking at a big check versus uh like this so it makes it a little easier for me to say oh i'm gonna spend more time doing podcasting you know but it it is that tough decision between especially at such a young age for people like even people who aren't necessarily like 30 years old and looking at being an executive just as soon as they go to college and all of a sudden they have to plan their whole life and it's it's a tough it's a really weird decision that we put on people it's very interesting because you really don't know yourself until after a lot of those experiences. I would even argue most people never find themselves. Yeah. And that's, that's another point. And you can even argue further with that, that it's because of the system that we have in place that doesn't allow people to do so. And I think the exploration of finding something that you enjoy and the fact that most people would look at what you're doing and what you, you like the paycheck, like you're saying, they'd be like, well, you got to go for the paycheck. But the difference is, is they're not you and you're not them, right? So it's like, it, it's it's finding everybody's individual place where they can go to bed at night and say, like just what you were saying, I made a difference. I'm making a difference. I'm helping people. I'm putting a stamp on something that I know I can help people with. And that's, that's what's important to me. And uh, it's really cool that you're, you're kind of, working into that and um like kudos to you for <laughs> kind of doing that because i think a lot of people would just uh, be like <laughs> no, I, I think i think i think one thing i want to add to that is i don't see myself as altruistic or impact <laughs> driven you know that's not me I, I think it's more about saying what what selfishly benefits me in a way that drives <laughs> my happiness further the most sure yeah right that's just the honest answer and for me right, yeah you know, the reason I do master talk, yeah, it's definitely to help people for sure. And, you know, I've been very fortunate. A lot of people have been impacted right. by the, the work that I do. But I think the big thing is without master talk, who am I? Mm-hmm. You know, after case competitions were over, similar to how, once again, people won't understand this. And it <laughs> seems like you might will. So maybe hear my cry. <laughs> it's like it's like when professional sports athletes kind right. of retire and they're like, the hype is over. Yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't recreate 40,000 people screaming your name. Right. In, a, in a stadium or your team's name, whatever the For case sure. is. So same thing with me. I had, a, I had a miniature version of that where I was the king of case competitions. Mm-hmm. Like the, un, the absolute king. Like I was the undeniable god <laughs> of case competitions until I retired. Right. And then when I retired, well, I'm not competing anymore. It's weird. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's either you become a coach or you just don't compete. You just kind of yeah. walk away. And yeah, I've seen a lot of my friends kind of struggle with that, right? Because you kind of just done. You, wait, yeah. You're like, wait, I did all these competitions, all this fun, all these late nights to work at a company right. and not use my intelligence to make a difference. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. it, it hits a lot of people. I, I think that's what most people don't get is like, there's no way out here. Right. The only way out is the 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 way out that you choose for yourself that mm-hmm. you can that you can only create for yourself. So for me, it's not like the, any standard conventional way of living life is almost definitely going to make you unhappy. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, like I think the only way to be happy is to create your own unconventional path and realize you're the only person who can walk on it. Yeah. No, I, I probably I, write I, that down. Yeah. That so but yeah, you think, can start a. Start Brendan's uh, mantras. <laughs> master, master, yeah, master life. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Some shit. There you go. Yeah, because uh, like you said, like I, I, and I do agree. Like everything that people do that looks unselfish is also selfish. Like there's always that aspect of it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think people have a bad. No, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, and I think that's very like misleading to people when they're trying to do something good that they're like, they might get a hiccup because they're like well this is am I just doing this for me or am I doing it for them and I don't think it matters like I think it does to a certain degree like if you're only doing it for yourself but if you can recognize that something makes you happy that doesn't mean you shouldn't like it shouldn't feel bad that you feel good for doing it you know like that so it's it's that's always been a thing like even so I'm a musician and I play like gigs when everything was open and everything like that um and just like you said, like I'm entertaining people, but that show is is for me. I love playing in front of people. I get a kick out of people getting hammered and singing along to the songs and all that stuff. You know, it's just a fun experience. Sick, like, yeah, it. like it's a good time. And I'm not playing in front of hundreds of thousands of people or anything. It's like in the bars. same way. I'm not speaking to hundreds of thousands of people. Right. Right? But it's it's that same feeling. It's like uh even when I'm playing alone in like my room or something, like I still get that sense of like, I'm playing for myself. But when, when I book a gig or something with my band, I don't do it for free, you know? Like, even though it's very like personally a very good thing for me to do therapeutically and just for fun and like all this stuff, they ask me how much I'm, they're char- like, they have, to, they have to give me. I'm not saying nothing. And that is, and that's part of that too, you know, like it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And I think people uh, like kind of mislead people into thinking that you can't, you can't do things because like good things for other people or entertain people because it doesn't make any money when there's no proof in that, or there's just because it's selfish of you for wanting to do something that helps people without the actual like non-selfish aspect, you know, like it's, it just doesn't exist. So what you're saying is perfect. Like you got to find your path and get there with it. And it's going to be your own unique path. But as long as you follow that and it means something to you, then there's no, there's no other, there's no like back and forth with it, you know, like that's the direction. I'm with you, man. Like, like a good way of thinking about this, because because it, it might be complicated for a lot of folks, is I've always believed that the one habit that people need to implement in their lives that most people don't do or don't just because they're too scared to. Mm-hmm. It's not yoga. It's not meditation. It's not drinking a green smoothie every three <laughs> hours. Though all that stuff is great. It's asking yourself one hard question about life every single day. What are you pretending not to know? If you had mm-hmm. all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? If you died tomorrow, what would your funeral speech say about you? If you were God, what would you do first and why? And what is the truth that you believe in that most people think is stupid? These yes. are the questions that lead to truth, but most people aren't willing to ask. Mm-hmm. And that is how you arrive at your truth. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid like me started a YouTube channel on public speaking communication <laughs> tips specifically, and then started coaching executives is yeah. literally talking to on a mattress he sleeps on, lives in his mother's basement, karaoke's in eight different languages, dances <laughs> alone in his basement for an hour a day, and loves Justin Bieber. How does that make any sense? <laughs> and that's the point I'm driving. Yeah. It is your own insanity that allows you to derive unique insights on how to live life mm-hmm. by your terms that adds value to society in a unique way that only you can add. Because only one thing is true. There's only ever going to be one version of you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So the, the best way of doing that is to express that unique version so that you can create something that's uniquely yours. Mm-hmm. And, and you might not find it for 20 years. It's definitely possible, but you never will find it if you never ask the right questions. Yeah. And I, we're on the same, we're on the same wavelength here. Cause that's something we're on that the same, we're on the same space. Yeah, uh, Cause you, you put it in, you could, you put it in better words than I, I'm the communication guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly like, cause I, I think I do that without like with you saying that it makes sense. Cause that's exactly what I do. I, I do ask myself those questions. Like if, like you said, if I was to die tomorrow, like what would, what would, what would be the, the eulogy of that? What would I look down hopefully from heaven <laughs> hopefully <laughs> uh, maybe in the middle right somewhere somewhere in the middle whatever it is I like burger Bahala. king or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but w- would i look down and be like nice you know like would i just be able to like you know like would i be able to be like cool Great. story bro right so and and one thing that like completely changed the way i viewed those that kind of like mindset um was when I was like 15 or 16, my grandfather died. And he was one of those people that like changed, he was a principal at a high school and like changed people's lives and like did a lot to like help people. He, he just was one of those, he was one of those people, you know? And the line of people that went out of like the funeral home was, incre- was crazy. And just like 20, 30 people, 40 people just coming and saying to me like, oh, your your grandfather was like was my principal like when I was a kid he was like my favorite person I like just from like the way he walked around it was like you learned so much from him just from having a conversation conversation with him you know and something struck me at that point because that I'd been to other funerals and I was like not everybody gets that not everybody has genuine like people like coming and wanting to come see them like before they get buried. And I was like, I was like, that's really crazy. Like that's somebody that like you don't think of as necessarily a very significant person in like the whole world of things had this much of an impact on so many people just from being their principal or like a teacher, you know? And uh, it kind of grounded a lot of like life expectation of like being up here, you know? because it, it, it's, it's all relative to the change that you can make with what you can do, you know? And that, that I'm really you, was man. like, that was really like a big, that's like a thing that I carry with me. Cause it's like, even if you're not like playing for a hundred thousand people or talking to a hundred thousand people, it's about like what you do with those connections that you do make and how those have a ripple effect, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's cool that you, you kind of see it like that too, where you're you're just trying to help who you can help and who wants the help, you know. Absolutely, man. <laughs> you know, I think a question I think about a lot is the following: Would we miss you if you were gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just ask myself <laughs> a lot. Yeah, would we miss you if you were gone? Right. So, or if I was gone, you know, like back to me, but the point I'm driving is, (laughs) would we miss you if you were gone? And it's, it's that answer that's always motivated me to be like, well, if I was an executive of a company, yeah, people would miss me if I was gone. You know, the people are my family and Mm -hmm. people I care about. But what if I served the world? Mm -hmm. What if I created resources that everyone is too selfish to kind of build for other people in the communication space? Because they mint so much money from their profession. I kind of just said, what if I just democratized it? Mm-hmm. What if every, you know, eight-year-old girl, the next Elon Musk is probably like a Cambodian eight-year-old girl somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, she, she still hasn't made it yet. Right. And I think, I think it's just disgusting that she doesn't have access to free communication tools from yeah. a fun, ex- like an entertaining, interesting ways that she actually wants to master communication. Yeah. And, if, and I'm just glad, you know, I found out what that impact was very early in the game through a series yeah. of, weird serendipitous event that i happened to also communicate in the same episode but uh yeah and so i guess we'll see what happens with the rest of my life but I, i'm only playing for legacy now i, I think money is <laughs> secondary i mean i live in my basement i i don't even have a pair of shoes like it's literally mm-hmm. i really don't care about anything except for legacy yeah. now so yeah and it's 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 about because like like you said like it's 
you said in the earlier part of the interview, you were like when you were um, thinking about starting it, you were like, I got 50 years left. What can I do to like change things? And it's, that's exactly what it is. I, it's, it's a short, but interesting ride if you want it to be, you know? So, and that's kind of why I started this is because I was like, there's like billions of people out there and I only know, like actually know, three. Maybe, yeah, like maybe 10, 20. I'm like the third. <laughs> yeah, like it's like, I, I, I'm usually a very social person, but when you, like, it's, it's one of those things, like, like you said, it's like, do I truly know more than maybe a handful of people, like truly know them? And uh, one of the things that I liked about like starting this podcast is I could just talk to people and uh i have a natural curiosity like you've seen <laughs> in things and uh I love it, man. yeah and to be able to like talk to people and just kind of have those conversations about like different things and learning about them and learning about these subcultures and under underground competitions is uh is really like fun for me and that's fulfilling for me and it's something interesting that i think other people will listen to and be like holy shit i didn't know that was going on or there's maybe a 10 year old kid that hears about this and is like that sounds great. You know, like there might be the, like, you know, and you, everybody learns about things. And I think learning about other people and their passion is really exciting for me. And that's like one of the things that um, like drives me for this and creates that, like, what am I going to be remembered for? Well, maybe it's just interviewing people and helping them tell their story, you know? hundred percent, man. Cause that would be, that's how I, that's how I like it. You know, I like asking people about themselves. And when you talk about a competition, the first thing I did was go, what <laughs> let's, is let's that expand. all about? Yes. <laughs> Please elaborate on that. You know, <laughs> yeah, give me the keys to the kingdom, Brendan. <laughs> Tell me all about this. Yeah. <laughs> since, since I got a drop, unfortunately, Perry, I think yeah. I can leave with uh, some parting words. Yeah. And the parting words is be insane or be <laughs> the same if you want to be like everyone else it's totally fine but if there's anything you've learned from this conversation it's that the people who do cool things in life the people who find life interesting the people that are actually happy from what i've seen the people who just do whatever the hell they want Mm -hmm. the people who aren't afraid to communicate their own craziness to the world and here's the punchline we're all insane Mm -hmm. we just pretend not to be (laughs) right you know, you know, that Sunday where we want to read a book instead of going to a bar, you know, we pretend that we want to go to the bar, but we don't really, right? Or just other mm-hmm. insane stuff like putting ketchup on eggs or something crazy. <laughs> but I think the point is if you communicate that insanity to the world in the same way I did or in the same way you did in this episode, I think your life <laughs> will just be better. Yeah. Right. So I, so I hope you all become insane because that's the only way I think society will move forward. I totally agree. I think people have lost kind of uh, a sense of, like in touchness with everybody, you know, like there's no, there's not a lot of that connection as much anymore. Maybe there never was. I don't know. I've grew up and we grew up in this time. We don't know any different than cell phones and like social media, you know, like that's kind of like our life. And uh, maybe that's, maybe that's an issue. Maybe it's not, I think it'll work itself out, but um, yeah, it's, it's really important for people to be honest, not only with themselves, but everybody. I think that's really important. I think a lot, I think people have a lot more in common in terms of where their insanity comes from than, than don't, you know, like you said, everybody's insane. And I think a lot of people could connect on those insanities. So <laughs> I'm with you, bro. hundred percent. Awesome. Well, before I let you go, uh, what do you got to, what do you want people to go check out? Oh yeah, you just know the YouTube channel. It's Master Talk in one word, and you'll find everything that's not related to discussion over there. <laughs> Perfect. But that's no, that's great. And uh, if you want to, yeah, everybody go check it out. They're great videos, especially if you're uh, if you're going into anything, any job, any whatever it is. Go check out these videos. They're really helpful. They break things down super easy, super simple, and um, that you learn a lot from them and you can they're very applicable right from the get-go it's not like working out where it takes months and months it's stuff that you can start immediately and learn about so thank you again brendan really appreciate it man i hope you uh hope you continue to have success and uh um i'll have to get you back on here and uh 
another time and we'll we'll discuss further about some other stuff <laughs> i'm sure we could find some stuff to talk about <laughs> for sure Perry. it's such a pleasure man let me know if you need anything feel free to email me awesome thank you man we'll do it peace and love